presented by Amazon. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Rogan Winovalin. It's Tuesday. and today's show, what you need to know about Mark Meadows' gift to the January 6th panel. This is your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. The January 6th committee on Monday night released a slew of text messages that Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, handed over to the panel before he stopped cooperating. They include messages sent by members of Congress, conservative media hosts, and even Trump's own family that pled with Meadows to get Trump to call off the rioters. One such text came from Laura Ingram, quote, Hey Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He's destroying his legacy. It's worth noting that that night, Ingram led her show suggesting that Antifa might have been at fault and that only three dozen people stormed the Capitol. Another text came from Donald Trump Jr., who texted Meadows over and over, quote, He's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. We need an oval address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. The texts, of course, reinforce what we already knew of Trump's inaction on January 6th. But they also highlight how many Republicans who were scared to death that day have since refused to speak publicly against the former president. One big thing from all of this, though Meadows changed his mind and is now stonewalling the committee, his prior cooperation paved the way for hundreds of witnesses to hand over critically important text messages from that day. One of the most consistent criticisms from the left of the political press these days is that it treats politics and policies, quote, normal, even when the United States is facing an unprecedented crisis of democracy. To review briefly, one, the Trump team tried to engineer a reversal of the 2020 election results, stymied only by local officials throughout the electoral machinery and a vice president who refused to go along with the various schemes. Two, at the time this was unfolding in 2020, especially in November and December, it all seemed kind of ridiculous. It was even sometimes described as a keystone coup, a bunch of nincompoops with no real leverage, engaging in far-out conspiracy mongering. But then came January 6th, and then out of office, Donald Trump continued to amp up the false election claims. Over time, a lot of Republican leaders grew tired of correcting him and his allies. Others joined them. Fast forward to today. Prominent GOP candidates are running campaigns based on waving the bloody shirt of a stolen election. 60% of Republican voters believe those claims are real. Republicans in several states are trying their best to make sure those local officials who protected the election from false fraud claims won't be there next time. Given all of that, media critics fairly ask, why isn't this the only subject in American politics that we in the press are covering? CNN's Isaac Dover comes pretty close to answering that question in a piece that published yesterday. The headline of the piece is all you really need to understand to see what we mean. Quote, Democratic governors worry about threat to democracy, but don't see it as a winning message for 2022. That's not a headline from The Onion. That's an accurate and fair summary of Dover's piece. There's a lot to be said about all of this, but for better or for worse, campaign coverage emphasizes what candidates are doing and saying. Washington policy and politics coverage emphasizes what the president and other leaders are trying to move through Congress. If leaders aren't talking about America's anti-democratic movement, if President Joe Biden, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer aren't doing it every day in Washington, then the coverage will reflect that. That's not a defense of the current political media ecosystem, but it is a description of it. If you think that ecosystem needs some changing, email us, tell us how, playbook at politico.com. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 10.05 a.m. Eastern, 
President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will receive the President's Daily Brief. Here's what's on the Vice President's calendar. At 11.30, Vice President Kamala Harris will deliver remarks and take part in a conversation with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen at the Freedmen's Bank Forum. Press Secretary Jen Psaki will brief at 1 p.m. The House will meet at noon to take up the Combating International Islamophobia Act, legislation related to the debt limit, and a resolution recommending that the House find former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress. The Senate is in today with a recess from 12.30 to 2.15 for weekly conference meetings. All right, that's all I've got for you today. For more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter at politico.com playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Rogan Winovalin. Have a great Tuesday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. The federal minimum wage has been stuck at $7.25 an hour since 2009. In the same time, food and beverage costs have increased 18 percent, transportation costs up 16 percent, housing costs up 23 percent, and medical costs up 32 percent. In 2018, Amazon introduced a starting wage of at least $15 an hour for all U.S. employees. A new, independent study found that Amazon's wage increase produced a 2.6% increase in the average hourly wage among other employers in the same market. Learn more at aboutamazon.com slash 15.